me. Oh, gracious God, we thank you for this, your word. We do pray, Lord, for your Spirit's work in opening our eyes and understanding to indeed receive the preached word as it truly is, as it is the word of God. We, we pray, O oh God, that you would bless your people and encourage us with your very truth. In Christ's name, amen. Well, Matthew chapter 4, beginning in verse 12, hear now the very word of God written for you and for me today. Now, when Jesus heard that, God, that John had been put in prison, he departed to Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is by the sea, in the regions of Zebulun and Naphtali, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who sat in darkness, have seen a great light, and upon those who sat in the region and shadow of death, light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Then he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. He called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing all kinds of, of sickness and all kinds of disease among the people. Then his fame went throughout all Syria, and they brought to him all sick people who were afflicted with various diseases and torments, and those who were demon-possessed, epileptics and paralytics, and he healed them. Great multitudes followed him from Galilee and from Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and beyond the Jordan. Amen. Thus far, the reading of God's holy word. Indeed, may God add his blessing to the reading of his word to us. Well, beloved in Christ, as it was fitting for Jesus to be baptized by John the Baptist in order to fulfill all righteousness, in God's infinite wisdom, Matthew teaches us that it was fitting for Jesus right after his identifying with his people in John's baptism, right after he was anointed by the Father and the Spirit as the Messiah, it was fitting for him to be led into the wilderness to face the serpent, in many ways for the same purpose. As the promised Savior who had come, Jesus was to continue fulfilling all righteousness in life and ministry, demonstrating his active obedience for us in the world and before God the Father. What a momentous and a, and a fitting way to start, if you, if you think about it, than by being tempted by the devil, 
Jesus' chief enemy who tempted Adam and Eve to sin in the garden. And as we know, they fell, bringing death and the curse upon all mankind. And so here was Jesus, the second Adam, who came to do what the first did not. He would demonstrate perfect obedience to God's law, even and especially in the face of temptation, by the tempter himself. And we know that the the devil, the tempter and accuser of the brethren, is skilled and crafty in his ways, do we not? If he could just get Jesus to sin once, if, if he could make him to just think a sinful thought, he could make him incapable of being our propitiation and being our substitute. He could make Jesus incapable of being the perfect sacrifice for his people's sins. But there was a big problem. He had never faced the true Son of God. If you recall, Satan tried once, he tried twice, even three times to trip Jesus up. Making the lure bigger each time, but he never could. Jesus responded to each with pure and perfect obedience. He stood on the truth and authority of the Word of God. And Satan tried to twist God's Word, if you remember in the second temptation, and yet Jesus rebuked him with the truth, showing himself to really be the Son of God, the the promised snakehead crusher, the, the one who conquered the strong man and would plunder his house. And having commanded Satan to leave, and having been ministered to by angels, it was then time for Jesus' public ministry to begin. And we see in our text that Jesus started by preaching and calling and healing, don't we? Let's consider the beginning of Jesus' ministry that Matthew tells us of in verses 12 through 17. His calling for fishermen in verses 18 through 22. And Jesus is healing many people in verses 23 through 25. And how does Matthew begin in verse 12? He says, Now when Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he departed to Galilee. Now, beloved, though Mark and Luke don't speak of John's imprisonment, it is important, and we see why. For Matthew shows us the connected work of the herald and the king. Jesus knew that John was still preaching and baptizing, announcing the coming king and his kingdom prior to him physically arriving on the local scene. And Jesus knew that John needed to finish that work. And so notice that when Jesus heard that John had been imprisoned, he then headed home to Nazareth in Galilee. You know, in many ways, you could say, well, he heard that John was in prison, terrible thing, tragic thing, troubling thing, even, for John was in prison because of what he preached, and Herod didn't like it. But yet, why would that cause Jesus to go then? Of the many things that he could do, even just ponder the death of John, why, did that, why was that the marker 
that made him depart and caused him to depart. We see this. He departed and he went to Nazareth, not only for his own safety, but knowing that the Pharisees were as much enemies to him as Herod was to John. And Jesus knew, though, that the time was right for him to preach, as he would build on the foundation that John laid for him. John was the herald. John was the forerunner. The king is coming, and now the king is here, and now the king opens his mouth and preaches. And where specifically did he go? Well, Luke tells us in his gospel that Jesus started in the synagogue in Nazareth and publicly read scripture there. If you want, you can turn with me to Luke chapter 4, beginning in verse 16, where we see that Jesus stood up and read the scriptures from Isaiah 61, verses 1 and 2. He stood up in front of the people and he said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Note his words here. Because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And you'll notice if you keep reading in the context, after Jesus told them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing, what an incredible statement for the Son of God to make to the people. They marveled at his words. And after he spoke to them about the widows in Israel in the days of Elijah and the lepers in the days of Elisha, the people's tone and tune quickly shifted. They were filled with wrath, and, and they drove Jesus out of town. Truly, as Jesus told them, no prophet is, is accepted in his own country. But Matthew goes on to say in verse 13 of chapter 4, and leaving Nazareth, so we see him pick up on this, he came and dwelt in Capernaum which is by the sea, in the regions of Zebulun and Naphtali. Now, know that Zebulun and Naphtali were two of the tribes that were the furthest to the north in Galilee. In fact, they were the tribes that were lost after the exile. Many in Israel viewed this region as one of mixed blood, and therefore spiritually dark. And why did Jesus come to this region? Why Zebulun and Naphtali of all the places he could go? Why there? Yet again, he came to fulfill prophecy. Wonderfully, again, we've seen this from the beginning. He is the king, he is the Messiah, he is the son of God. He is the true kingdom and his kingdom has come. He came to fulfill prophecy. Look at verses 14 through 16. That it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, notice, 
The people who sat in darkness have seen a great light, and upon those who sat in the region and the shadow of death, light has dawned. Beloved, this is a a marvelous passage. See a few things here. See that Jesus was tempted by Satan in the wilderness, which was a place of desolation and darkness. And here Christ began his ministry in what was perceived to be the spiritually darkest region in Galilee. And see Isaiah's words. The people sat in darkness. They were in the shadow of death. And yet here comes the light of the world. John declares Jesus to be in his gospel. Here comes the light of the world preaching the light of the gospel and the kingdom into the darkness. Into dark hearts. And why? To restore the vanished tribes. To restore the the northern tribes. To worship the living God. This was a great light marking the dawn of a new day. And though the, the light of the gospel began to first shine in Galilee here. We see even in the Old Testament, and and here in Matthew's quote of Isaiah chapter 9, that it was always to go to the Gentiles. See that? Notice Isaiah's reference to Galilee as the Galilee of the Gentiles. And we'll see more towards the end of our passage as to why. But this, beloved, is exactly what Matthew says Jesus did. Look at verse 17 of Matthew 4. From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Beloved, whereas Jesus read the word in Nazareth, where he identified himself to be the one Isaiah prophesied would come and preach and proclaim liberty to the captives, We see here Matthew says, from that time, here marks the beginning of his public preaching ministry. Indeed, beloved, what incredible preaching that was. It was the same message that John declared, but now it's coming from the mouth of the Son of God. The one that John foretold. And here Christ is preaching about the king and the kingdom in reference to himself and that which he is sovereign over for all eternity. Jesus is the best preacher that ever walked the earth. Indeed, here is the Redeemer King calling all to turn from sin and unto him in sincere repentance for salvation. Indeed, this is the same gospel, and this is the same call that the gospel makes today. Here, Paul's preaching in Acts 17, verses 30 and 31, where he says this, Truly, these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent, because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. He has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. Again, beloved, 
The call is to repent and turn to Christ. And if you remember what repentance truly is, it is seeing the heinousness of your sin. It is sorrowing for it. It is turning from it. It is going the other direction, leaving your sin behind, forsaking your sin, and turning unto Christ for mercy and for salvation. Indeed, why? Because the kingdom is at hand. Here is the king. And in this kingdom... He has his great winnowing fan. And on that last day, he will thresh his threshing floor and he will gather his wheat into the barn and he will burn the chaff with unquenchable fire. Indeed, the eternal fires of hell. So again, we see the importance of this preached message, this wonderful yet simple sermon from the Lord Jesus Christ. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Indeed, the risen king is and will be the great and final judge. And so, beloved, there is great importance, we see, even by Christ's own example, even by John's example and many others in the Scriptures, the apostles and others, there's great importance for sound bold preaching of the gospel. This was a shocking message for the Jews to hear. This was a shocking message for the Gentiles to hear from the words of John, from the lips of Christ. But here it is. You are not right with God, and you must be if you are to be saved and not condemned. The only way to be right with God is through Christ and believing by faith in Him. And so we see that this gospel message and the truth of the Word, the whole counsel of God, is vital for the church today. For people are spiritually starving where it is absent. And they are growing where it is present. And Why? Because the living God works powerfully in and through the preaching of His Word in the hearts of His people, both in conversion and sanctification, praise the Lord. Not all people who heard the words of John or who heard the words of Jesus would turn to Christ in true repentance and faith. But yet His people would. Praise the Lord for his work in and through the preached word. And therefore, as Jesus preached and as any faithful minister preaches, what is the duty of the people as they hear it? Well, our Westminster Larger Catechism, question 160, helps us here. That they attend upon it with diligence, preparation, prayer. This is why we prepare and we pray before we hear the preaching of the word, that by the Spirit of God and His grace, He would work the word in our hearts and apply the truth therein. That they examine what they hear by the Scriptures. Like, like Paul said, be Berean. He told the Bereans, search the Scriptures and see if what I am preaching to you is true. And only hold to it if it is. but also to receive the truth with faith, love, meekness, and readiness of mind as the Word of God. Meditate and confer of it, hide it in their hearts, and bring forth the fruit of it in their lives. 
This is what we all need to do as we hear God's word and as we receive the word. And so Jesus, beloved, not only preached, but notice he also began calling select men to be his disciples. Look at verse 18. And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea. For they were fishermen, and then he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And they immediately left their nets and followed him. This is another wonderful portion of scripture and work of the Lord, isn't it? See some things here. See how Peter and Andrew were, were doing what they did day in and day out, every day of the week. They, they, they were trained and skilled to do this. They, they were fishermen, and in particular here, we see that they were skilled at catching fish with nets. But also see the effectual and resistible, ir, excuse me, irresistible call of Jesus. He called them to follow him and told them what he would do. They may have been good at catching fish, and indeed they likely were. In those days, many of the men, especially in the businesses around Galilee, these weren't poor fishermen, these were lucrative businessmen. There were many fish, abundant fish to be caught, and they were good at doing it. There were many boats out on that sea, all catching fish. But yet Jesus was going to make them his students teaching and training them to catch men. Now, if you think about it, there were all sorts of possible excuses they could have given to stay and not go. This was their lucrative fishing business. They, they couldn't leave it. This was, this was uh, the Lord Jesus here, but they didn't know him specifically and very closely. Even how, how sure could they be that he could carry through on his word. Another could have been that they had family to consider. A lot of things to ponder here, Jesus. Yet those who Christ effectually calls come to him. They would lay everything aside, notice, and follow him immediately. Up they went. Indeed, Jesus would teach them how to fish for men, how to cast the net of the gospel, and to bring in the bounty for his kingdom. And it wasn't that those who they caught would belong to Peter and Andrew or any of the disciples. It wasn't that they could have a lucrative business of a different kind, but that many would bow the knee and follow the king. That they would follow Christ. And see their response and the speed of it. They immediately left and they went and they followed him. And, and the same was true of James and John, Matthew says in verses 21 and 22. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, in the boat with Zebedee their father, mending their nets. Now that is an interesting piece of information that's different and even added to what Peter and Andrew's call was like. Here we do have the presence of family. 
their father, part of the business, working with his sons. They were mending nets that had been ripped and torn in the process of fishing. Common thing that fishermen do to get ready for the next, for the next cast. But he called them, notice, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. God calls us, indeed, to follow him unreservedly, even as we understand that there is a cost. But see how all four of these men, along with the rest of the twelve, Jesus would call, they were called to be disciples. They were called to be students, and they would forever and always be students. But they were called to be disciples before they were sent out as apostles. And as Jesus' ministry progressed, it involved Jesus going around to many places, Matthew said, ministering in several ways that bore witness to king and kingdom. Look at verse 23. And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease among the people. And so as Jesus taught, beloved, he taught about the nature and purpose of the kingdom. And we'll see that in the coming weeks as we consider the parables that Christ told. And as he preached, he preached the good news of the kingdom. And that, that kingdom was near. Jesus' Sermon on the Mount is a wonderful part of such preaching, which we're going to consider next, Lord willing. And as Jesus healed, people saw and experienced the compassion and power of the living God. Again, this is the true Son of God. His healings, along with preaching and teaching, were all signs that He is the Son of God and that the kingdom had come. And so as Jesus did all of these things, notice that more and more people talked about it. More and more people heard and knew of him, and therefore the word spread far and wide, and many, many people came out to him. And they brought people to him. Look at verse 24 and 25. Then his fame went throughout all Syria, and they brought to him all sick people who were afflicted with various diseases and torments, and those who were demon-possessed, epileptics, they were having regular and frequent seizures, plagued and stricken by that, and paralytics, and he healed them. Great multitudes followed him from Galilee, from Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and beyond the Jordan. Here, here's, the, here's the picture, beloved. Jesus is coming and declaring, repent, the kingdom of God is at hand, the kingdom is come, and I am this King. I am the Son of God. Hear my words. Listen to my instruction. Receive healing that you would know that I am He and that it is here. And indeed, look and see all the different types of situations and ailments that these people had. None were too complicated or stumping for Christ. Healed them all. People came from all over the place. That's the reason we see this list of cities here. 
They came all over the place. He didn't turn them away. He healed them all. His followers quickly multiplied. And notice, again, as we think back to Galilee of the Gentiles, even from Gentile Decapolis, the ten cities, even from Gentile Decapolis, Jesus was doing kingdom work to minister to many people as well as to be an example to his watching students who would at the right time go and do likewise as they would make king and kingdom proclamation, calling those who heard them to turn to Jesus in faith and repentance. And so see today as we consider this passage, that the anointed Messiah is the eternal King whose kingdom has been inaugurated. He is the master preacher. He is the master teacher. He is the master healer. And see the beginning of Jesus' calling the twelve disciples in all of its significance. Though these men receive special training to later become Christ's apostles, the call and the cost of discipleship is something that you all need to take with you today. For they were disciples just like you and me. It's easy to say, I believe in Jesus. And indeed, I pray you do. But does your life, does your walk show the fruit of your submission to him and committed study in his school? My friends, there is cost to discipleship. Never forget this. It's not an easy walk. It's not a walk in the park. It's a walk that is full of trial and suffering, but the presence of the King and His Spirit with you and at work in you and amongst you. Like Peter, Andrew, James, and John knew, The cost is worth it, and God sustains you through it as you belong to and serve Jesus with joy. He gives you his joy and gladness in the midst of it all. And what does following Christ look like in the details? It looks like submitting to Christ's law and teachings, obeying his commands, all of them, seeking to do so with all your heart. Imitating his ways, as he has given us wonderful example after example after example. Putting aside anything and everything that hinders your allegiance to him. And though all of these things are hard, maybe that's one of the hardest. Because there are some things that we like to hold on to. We are pretty skilled in multitasking, and can even maybe dabble in things that we shouldn't or, or have our pet idols or other things in our lives, and we just have that on the side. But hey, I, the majority of my time is in allegiance. Yeah, but there are these things over here. No. Setting aside everything. Complete abandon of anything and everything that would hinder you in your allegiance to him because he calls and requires your complete allegiance. There are no double agents in the kingdom of God.
but also seeking His face and, and having fellowship with Him. This isn't just blind or even non-relational servitude to, to a distant king. No, the king comes to you in love and salvation and sacrifice of himself. And he says, follow me. Come to me. I will give you refuge. I will give you rest. I will give you life. I will give you relationship and communion with me, with the Father, with the triune God for all eternity. Oh, what bliss. It involves, beloved, as John teaches us in Revelation 14.4, following the Lamb wherever He goes. Following the Lamb wherever He goes. And so as we all struggle with following Jesus as we ought, his call to follow him remains. And so I pray that you, and, and this is important for me too, pray that you seek God and his grace to do so well today. Don't put it off. Don't, don't put it aside. I'll take care of that later. No. You need to seek to be faithful in your obedience and allegiance to Christ. Do so now, today, before him in prayer. Praise God for his word. Let's pray together.